0: Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Good morning. Good morning. One more week. One final surge of adrenaline right? required to... Making through the last bit of shopping, who's going to bring what for Christmas supper, wrapping the gifts, uh, attending the last parties, all that kind of stuff. And of course, it can be, uh, Christmas can be a great time of year, Um, but it also can be filled with a lot of frantic hurry. Um, And in the midst of that, um, I'm wanting us to slow down and reflect on the Christmas story in Luke's gospel, um, because it's really deep reflection, not frantic hurry, um, that our hearts really need. So I want you to follow along as I read for us, um, Luke 1, through 56, it's often called the Magnificat, uh, Mary's song that she sang. Um, so I'll read this for us, and then we'll spend a little time reflecting together on it. Um, this is God's holy word. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months, and returned to her home. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we can come before you, that we can gather together beneath your word uh, to hear it read, but also to hear it proclaimed and preached to us. And so we pray, uh, Lord, that you would be with us. And we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you like to uh, barbecue... um, you know that the key phrase, if you're going to smoke something like a pork shoulder or a brisket or something like that, is low and slow, right? Cooking the meat at a very low temperature for maybe 10 to 12 to 14 hours, but you have to be prepared for something the pit masters call the stall. Right? Um, Low and slow, you're cooking this meat, the pork shoulder, the brisket, whatever, and the internal temperature of that meat starts to rise and it continually rises until it doesn't. And it stalls out, usually about 160 degrees, something like that. Um, And novice smokers, they get nervous. And so they start opening vents on the grill or the smoker or whatever, try to get the fire hotter, try to raise the temperature, and that is the cardinal sin. It is a true tell that you're new to the game, right? Um, you've got to let it sit there. You've got to let it abide in that smoke, right, uh, in that glorious smoke, and sometimes for hours on end, without the temperature rising, but you've got to have faith right you got to have faith because eventually the fat in that meat breaks down right and the meat just bursts through the stall and the temperature starts to rise again and your patience and faith is about to be rewarded with some delicious barbecue right it's the smoked brisket the smoked pork shoulder cooked low and slow the angel gabriel uh, we looked at this last week appeared to the Virgin Mary and announced to her that she would give birth to God's own son, Jesus. And since that time, she's been reflecting low and slow. Right, for days, she's been pouring over and thinking through all that is meant by this announcement given to her by God through Gabriel until eventually she broke through And she burst into this beautiful song, transformed and and full of joy. And if we can slow down and if we can reflect deeply, we can be transformed like her. And so there are three main things I want to focus on this morning that Mary reflected upon, which we're going to use as our three points guiding us through her song today. Um, Here they are. She reflected on God's kept promise on God's blessing, and on God's upside-down kingdom. I'll I'll repeat those as we go. But first, she reflected on God's kept promise. Um, Biblical scholars would tell you that every line of Mary's song has its counterpart in the Old Testament. There are parallels and allusions and references everywhere, right? Right? various psalms, the book of Isaiah, Exodus, certainly Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2, every line just full of the Old Testament. So it's fitting that Mary ended her song in verses 54 and 55 by saying that, um, or reflecting that God had remembered his mercy to Israel, and he had kept his promise to Abraham that was spoken to Abraham, right? So her entire song, is this thoughtful biblical reflection on God remembering and keeping his promise right 2000 years had gone by since God had promised Abraham that from his descendants one would come to deliver his people and bless all the nations that promise echoed throughout the generations right and especially in later years Through the Old Testament prophets. But many of you know, or some of you know at least, that by Mary's time, it had been 400 years since the last Old Testament prophet had spoken. Deafening silence, right? And it looked like, and it felt like, that God had maybe gone back on his promise, that he had forgotten that he had given up on his promise and on his people. But Mary had her Bible out, and she was reflecting, and she was realizing that God never forgets his promise. The whole Bible, as Sally Lloyd-Jones put it in her children's Bible, is the story of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, and forever love. You know, part of the reason the Bible is such a long book Right, is because it is a record of God keeping His promises throughout history, never forgetting, remembering His mercy, always keeping His promise. About fifteen years ago, uh, you can figure out which child this was. Um, our sweet little girl started kindergarten. First child to go off to school, big public school in Memphis. Um, big and intimidating and brand new to her. And one of those first few days of of class when she was in school, her class was leaving the gym and returning uh, to her classroom. And somehow she got separated from her class. And um, her teacher told us about it and told us about how another teacher had found her in the hall all by herself, alone, and crying, but got her back to class safely. And so when she got home, we were talking about her having this experience, right, of her being alone and crying in that hallway in this unfamiliar and somewhat scary place. And so we asked her the obvious leading question, right? Were you scared? She hit us with a curveball, though. She said, no, I wasn't scared. And so we asked her, well, why were you crying then? And this is what she said. She said, I was crying because everyone forgot me. And no one was looking for me. And I was sad. Man, that pierced my heart. I had prepared for scared. But my five-year-old little girl sad because she thought she was forgotten. I wasn't ready for it. Right? There was something about that answer that just pinged off of my soul and resonated deeply with me. See, there's this deep memory In all of us, I would argue. The trace of a memory that that lingers in every human heart. That deep in our bones we know that we were made for God. But that we turned our backs on Him. And left Him in our sin. And that memory lingers in our bones and we feel and we fear that we're orphaned. That we've been abandoned, that there's no way back, that we've been forgotten, and no one's going to look for us. And you know, I think, we, I think we often try to ignore it, and a lot of times we push it down, and then all it takes is an honest five-year-old <laughs> to kind of bump into that wound and expose it again. Why am I feeling these feelings that I'm feeling like this? Or maybe that's not it for you, but maybe it's a hard and lonely marriage that you're in. And that bumps into that wound of feeling alone and forgotten. Or maybe it's questions about why you're still single. right? Or the despair that you feel stuck in an unfulfilling Career And it bumps into this fear of feeling unnoticed and forsaken and passed over maybe. Or, or, or that feeling of rejection that you felt when you didn't get invited to this year's Christmas party. Right? And, and it touches that place of deep shame. It bumps into that wound. Or, or, or at times it's more direct. We just, we're very aware that we have failed and we have fallen short. Of what we know we should be. And we have that deep sense of guilt. It gets exposed. And those are the kinds of things that just, they, they can ping off of our soul, right? It, this, and trigger this deep fear of being forgotten and abandoned and given up on and alone. And I think what I'm saying is, you should probably pay attention to it. And not shove it down and not ignore it because it means something. But don't stay there. That's the other thing I'm saying. Don't stay there. Be like Mary and reflect like Mary. Because why did Mary burst into this song? Because she had reflected and realized that God had not forgotten her, that He had not and could not forget His promise. That though we had left Him, He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Right? Though we had turned our backs on Him, He had promised to send His own Son into the world to deliver us. Right? Though we had sinned against Him, He promised to deliver us from our sin and reconcile us to Himself. Though we tried to forget Him, He would not and could not forget us. He always keeps His promise. And it may take a long time by our valuation. But whatever God says, Mary is singing, you can take it to the bank. Because He always keeps His promise. He said that He was going to send His Son into the world to put down evil and to deliver and reconcile you to Himself. And He did. Christmas means God doesn't forget He never forgets. He cannot forget. He always keeps His promise. And when you reflect on that, and when it gets deep into your bones, it begins to heal the fears of being forgotten and abandoned. And you begin to find new strength to face with real hope the disappointments and hurts in this broken world. And you find a resource for joy and security and peace, no matter the circumstances. God always keeps His promise. All right. Second, Mary reflected on God's blessing. This word blessed that shows up in verse 48 um, is a very important biblical word, right? I was thinking about the book of Psalms yesterday as I was getting ready for this. And there are 150 psalms, right? And, and Psalm 1 is the introduction to them all. I remember this one author calling Psalm 1 the gateway to the Psalter. Right, you got to go through Psalm 1 because it's the introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And you know what the first word of Psalm 1 is, and therefore the first word of the entire book of Psalms? It's this word, blessed. Blessed is the man. And then it goes on to describe the blessed man. The book of Psalms is saying at the very beginning that the main thing for you to do and for you to figure out in this life is, are you blessed? And Mary reflected until in wonder she burst forth in song and saying that she was indeed blessed. All right, we didn't read the verses just before Mary's song, but after the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, Mary traveled to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, upon greeting Mary, said to Mary in Luke 1, verse 42... Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then in verse 45, just before our passage uh, this morning, Elizabeth said to Mary, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so here's Mary reflecting for day after day, reflecting day after day, until she bursts in wonder, verse 48. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So what does it mean to be blessed? Why, why do you need more than anything to figure out if you can say like Mary, I'm blessed? Moises Silva, um, biblical scholar, writes that in the Bible, God's blessing, and this is how he defines it, is a divine announcement of favor. The assurance That God is conferring his grace. It is a declaration, an announcement of God's favor, right? An objective word that is spoken outside of you about you by God. And that word is that he objectively delights in you. It's not a feeling. Blessing is not a feeling. It is not the experience of favorable circumstances in your life. Hashtag, you know, blessed or whatever the deal is. I I don't know. Uh, My kids are embarrassed now. It's, It's the solid, objective reality that you are favored by God. And all his goodness and all his grace and all his mercy and all his love is directed to you. And here's something really, really important that we need to pay attention to. When you say that you're blessed, like Mary did, you're speaking in the passive. Right? It's something done to you, in other words. It's something outside of you that has been done and spoken about you. It comes from outside. You cannot bless yourself. In fact, the only thing that's going to heal you on the inside is an objective word of God's favor from the outside. Let me try to explain to you what I mean when I say you can't bless yourself because I think that's what our culture is saying to us all the time and is telling us that that's what we need to do. Right? It says don't listen to what anyone says about you. Right? Look inside to find your own self-worth. Right? Don't worry. Dismiss the haters, whatever. Right? Tell yourself that you're great that you're enough, that you're pretty, whatever. And that sounds real nice. But you know from experience that it doesn't work. You cannot bless yourself. Bless yourself, try to bless yourself and tell yourself a thousand times a day, I'm great, I'm enough, I'm beautiful, whatever. But one person whose opinion matters to you Maybe a spouse or a friend or a boss comes along and says to you one time, you're a disappointment. You're ugly. You're not enough. What do you remember? The thousand things you told yourself or the one cutting remark from your friend or your spouse or your boss? The one cutting remark, of course. Those are the words that haunt us It's the words spoken about us from the outside that matter, that have the power to shape us and to shape our view of ourselves. Several years ago now, I was watching this interview. I think I've shared this story. It's been a few years, but um, with basketball legend, Bill Russell. And if you don't know who he was, he's one of the greatest basketball players ever played in the 50s in the 60s, um, played on back-to-back college championship teams. He he was in the NBA for 13 years. 11 of those years he won NBA championships. Like more rings than fingers, right? He was an NBA All-Star 11 times, NBA uh, MVP five times. On and on we could go about the statistics. He accomplished a lot, but his his accomplishments weren't limited to the basketball court. Um, in fact, the interview that I was watching, he was being interviewed because he had just received the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his work and accomplishments in the civil rights movement. I mean, an amazing man, on and off the court. And as he was being interviewed, it, it was obvious that receiving this medal meant an awful lot to him. And so the interviewer asked what seemed like the obvious leading question. Right? And asked, Is this the greatest honor of your life, even compared to all the other honors? And he hit the interviewer with a curveball. And I wrote down what he said. This is what he said No. It's a close second, though. And he paused and he said this. He was about 75 or 76 when my father said to me one day, you know, I'm proud of you. And I'm proud that you're my son. And I'm also just as proud that I'm your father. And Russell said, you can't top that. There are two reasons I share that story. One. I think it beautifully illustrates the power of words, the power of the words of blessing spoken from the outside by someone who matters to you, right? The highest award a civilian can receive in our country, but it wasn't the greatest honor of his life. The greatest honor of his life were his father's words of approval and delight because his father's opinion mattered to him. It's a beautiful illustration. But second, second reason I, I share that story with you is this. As beautiful and as powerful as that story is, Russell is so wrong. You can top that. And by a lot. Because when all is said and done... There is only one opinion of you in the entire universe that truly matters, and that's God's. And here's the deal. If he looks at you and he says that you are great, you are. End of discussion. It doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. It doesn't even matter what you say about you. And if he says about you that you're enough, you are, period. If he calls you beautiful, you are. If he declares that you are forgiven and loved and accepted in his sight, you are, period. Right. If he says he delights in you, in you as his treasure, worth the life of his own son, That is what you are. That's God's blessing. His divine announcement of favor. See, Mary sang of being blessed, of rejoicing in God her Savior, verse 47. Her song was this, I had nothing to do with this. I'm a sinner, but God saved me. God blessed me. God favors me. Now, I wish I had more time today to unpack all this, but... I'm just encouraging you to reflect, even this coming week, of how an objective word of God's favor from the outside can heal you on the inside and can undo so many painful and hurtful words that have been spoken to you and about you and can change the way you view yourself as God's treasure, He delights in. All right, third and last. Mary reflected on God's upside-down kingdom. Flannery O'Connor, a southern writer, wrote, God told the world he was going to send it a king, and the world waited. The world thought a golden fleece will do for his bed, silver and gold and peacock's tails, a thousand suns and a peacock's tail will do for his crib. His mother will ride on a four-horned white beast and use the sunset for a cape. She'll trail it behind her over the ground and let the world pull it to pieces, a new one every morning. I mean, it it seems so obvious that God is sending his king into the world, his only begotten son. It seems so obvious. It's got to be extravagant. It's got to be big, a golden fleece for his bed, a thousand sons and a peacock's tail, whatever that means. His mother, of course, is going to use the sunset for her cape. Why wouldn't she? She's the mother of God's son. But Connor goes on. But instead, Jesus came on cold straw. Jesus was warmed by the breath of an ox. Who is this blue cold child and this woman plain as the winter? Is this the word of God? This blue cold child? Is this His will, this plain winter woman? Love cut like the cold wind. I love that quote. I read it every year at Christmas. It's, it's beautiful and it's shocking. God's kingdom is so upside down. I'm not sure I need to do much more than read a few verses from Mary's song. It's fairly clear that she's reflecting on the wonder of God's upside down kingdom. Verse 48, which we were just mentioning. But here's the whole verse. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary was an unwed, poor, teenage girl from Nazareth. Here's the translation. She was a nobody with nothing from nowhere. She was a plain winter woman. And she says... Yeah, and they're going to be talking about me forever. Right? From now on, everyone's going to know that God's blessing moves toward the insignificant, towards the weak, towards the unimportant, towards the needy. And that just seems so backwards, And so upside down to us, what seems obvious to us is that the way up is, well, the way up, right? The winners are the winners, right? The achievers, the successful, the powerful, the wealthy, the significant, the beautiful, the influential, those are the winners. We say it's just the way the world works, right? But Mary was reflecting on a different kingdom. That works differently. God's upside-down kingdom. Look at verse 51 and following. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. Mary was reflecting on a kingdom where the way up is the way down. And the way down is the way up. That only those who humble themselves will be lifted up in this kingdom. Only the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Only those who lose their lives will find their lives, Jesus says. Only those who hunger and thirst will be satisfied. That's God's upside-down kingdom. And there's good reason that Mary was reflecting on the upside-down nature of God's kingdom and then bursting into song. Because not only was she a humble, plain winter woman who had been lifted up and exalted, but she knew before anyone else knew that God's own Son, the King of kings, He was breaking into this world in the most upside-down way possible. Right, he would come not in strength, but in radical vulnerability, this blue-cold child on cold straw. Right, he wouldn't be born in a palace. He was going to be born out in the cold, in an unnoticed corner of this harsh, hard and broken world. He'd grow up the poor son of a carpenter with the reputation of being Mary's illegitimate son. He would know rejection intimately. Then, of course, she didn't know this, but here's the pattern. His greatest moment of victory would come when he was lifted up bleeding on a cross, dying, forsaken and abandoned on the cross for his people. Vitold Pilecki, um, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right, um, which is why you shouldn't read. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Um, He was a Polish man who lived during World War II. And um, in Poland, rumors were beginning to circulate in 1940 about the horrors and atrocities being done to the Jewish people at a place called Auschwitz. Jewish men and women were being tortured and killed in the Auschwitz concentration camp, as we now know, and they were desperately trying to break out. Um, but told Pilecki, he decided that he was going to break in to Auschwitz. And so he falsified identification papers that labeled him as a Jewish man. And when the Nazis came through Warsaw, he voluntarily allowed himself to be taken. He broke into one of the most awful places on earth and lived there as a prisoner for three years, organizing resistance movements. smuggling out information and documenting war crimes and helping others escape. He endured intense labor. He was cruelly beaten. He had typhoid fever. He experienced the horrors and atrocities of Auschwitz. And he was later executed and buried in a mass grave. So strange. So strange that someone would do something like that. So strange, at least, until you learn that Vitold was a Christian. And then it's not so strange. Because he belonged to an upside down kingdom with an upside down king. He knew a king who never forgets his people and always keeps His promise. He knew a king who left the comfort and safety and glory of heaven and voluntarily broke into this evil world. A king who came upside down in weakness and vulnerability to deliver his people through his own defeat. Who, though he deserved nothing but the praise of heaven, took on our sin and was forsaken and abandoned in our place for us. All, the, all so that we could enjoy the blessing of God's favor. And when you reflect deeply on the wonder of the Christmas story, you better watch out. Because it just might change you like it did veto. It'll turn your world upside down and set you free And you'll start gravitating towards the kind of people Jesus gravitated towards. Right? The plain, the weak, the insignificant, the poor, the needy, the hurting, the messed up. Those who don't have their lives together and cannot get their lives together. To those who, like you, have no other hope but to say, I had nothing to do with this. I'm a sinner, but God saved me. God bless me, God favors me, and all because of my upside down King Jesus. Low and slow, reflect like Mary, and this is good news. It'll get in your bones and it'll transform you like it did Mary. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Um, Thank you for Luke who wrote this down for us, that we might reflect along with Mary on the wonder of the Christmas story. And Father, we pray that you would indeed show us your upside-down kingdom, that you would cause us to reflect on the blessing that is ours all because of Jesus. Father, we pray that You would give us hope even as we are reminded this Christmas season that You have not forgotten us, But You are a God who keeps His promises and whatever You say, we can take it to the bank. Father, Put this good news deep in our bones, we pray, that we might be transformed. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.